Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, brothers. It's Cadell. Um, <clears throat> I hear my my seat is vacant in the in the uh, the Citroen, wasn't it? Um, Citroen, Renault, Peugeot, one of those. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm I'm with you all listening to the podcast. Um, if I'm if I'm not too late, um, other than saying hello and hello to all the listeners who are probably laughing at um <clears throat> this great recount of the tour, like like I am. Um. If I'm not too late, just a comment on um, Courchevel, not so much the racing, but just the course itself. Um, I was lucky enough to ride it before the race came through. The finish up to Altiport um, with Stuart O'Grady and his Moomoo group of many, many Aussies and English and Scots and Americans. Um, and I rode the last, after I rode the last 15k up to the finish, um, I got off my bike and I said to myself, that is the hardest 15 kilometres of Tour de France I've ever ridden was basically 13 k's to go you turned onto that bike path and it was like it reminded me of riding in like doing this long ride before the plymouth mountain bike world cup years ago we have these narrow road really short steep climbs but the difference being you didn't have any downhills in between each of the steep sections so you only had like gradual uphills and at 2000 meters altitude so it was just oh just you just could not get any rhythm it was just a, it was just a, a real grind to get up and even though the asphalt was beautiful the view was spectacular the people were fantastic um but it was just a, a really uh, remarkable bit of road and um, i'm sure it would look great on tv i was busy getting off the mountain like you were guys were and i didn't get to watch it until after the stage but i just hope you're all well and um enjoyed that amazing stage of the tour i think um considering the difficulty of it some um, Pog was amazing to only concede the time that he did because it was just such a tough finish that it was um, incredible. I'm glad all the pros stayed in the bike for the last few k's on the downhill as well. That was pretty sketchy. And otherwise, I hope you're all well and um, you know, you're busy uh, commentating the finish of the, of the sprint today. I hope it's all going well. We'll speak soon. Well, that was Brother Cadell giving us a little upsum of the Courchevel stage. Uh, thank you, Brother Cadell. It's a Citroen, by the way, the car in which we find ourselves just for the, uh, well, for the benefit of accuracy, because we like, above all, to be accurate on Never Strays Far. What an evacuation we have just had. What a stunning evacuation. Just to put into context how unprecedented this evacuation is, we have left, only two teams have beaten us. Bahrain victorious and EF Education. We have dropped Alpes into Koenig. That's not hard to do. And um, all the others, the Jumbo Visma. And we've even left before the red cars, before Christian Prudhomme today, David. We deserve this, though. We didn't get to our hotel until 11.30 last night. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. long. So this is kind it of so long, what it? goes around comes around. The wheel turns. Tour is long, day by day. Yep. This is a good day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was a... Um, oh, I had the best bike ride this morning. The best bike ride. We're in the uh, Département de La, which is, I think, how you pronounce it, A-I-N. And uh, it's very empty, isn't it? And uh, it was 
lovely sunshine this morning. You went on a, for a run on the same roads and we passed each other. Yeah, we did. We did like a flyby. David, I'll make sure your, your orangina is in a cup holder. Yes. The police have been quite Wait. Yeah. on it with I will. driving whilst... Why don't you guys talk and I'm just going to focus on because we're oh. in the convoy, the team convoy here. Okay. Go so on, Ned. Carry yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, I went for a run. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, you went for a run, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I passed him basically. Uh, he was coming back from his run, and he had his earpods in. Decent and he was run as well. He was smashing it down this hill. Long legs. Yeah. yeah. David Miller, sleeveless. Always Focus. wears a sleeveless, sleeveless vest. Big arms. Big legs. Big legs. Um, big heart. <laughs> big passion. Big character. Just big. Just 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 a big guy <laughs> all round. At the height <laughs> of his powers. Fit. Um, Good-looking, intelligent. Yeah, very intellectual. Intellectual. And there he was lolloping down this country lane <laughs> <laughs> at a pace. Heel striking. With his ear, with his ear pods <laughs> in, uh, listening to, like, God knows what, I wonder what he was listening mm. to. Um, we, could make, we could make a good guess, couldn't we? Oh, it would have been, knowing David Millett, it would have been some really obscure podcast. Taylor Swift, it was Taylor Swift. Oh, it was Taylor Swift. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, we're properly. The police are like blocking off cars that come up behind us and everything. This is awesome. We're in the convoy. We're with the like elite convoy. The so it gets better. Yeah. Two we're days in a row. We've we're done behind this. business friendly Bahrain. <laughs> is business fr- business friendly Tim in there? Uh, no, he'll be in the car with business friendly right. Vlad, who's yeah. the yeah one of the top dogs in Bahrain. Yeah. yeah. But like, like we are like a lot of the teams are. It's we're looking forward to Paris, aren't we? A little bit now. Yeah, you just, I mean, these last, especially when everything's effectively done, you know, I mean, but, but the thing it that doesn't, I've Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's not exciting, or it can't be. That's kind of what I was about, yeah, yeah that's what I was about to say, I, wrote, I woke up this morning thinking, I'm not that excited, you know, and then the race dragged me in, because there's a stage went up for grabs, and it's the Tour de France, and it's, you know, um, it's big, it's a big deal, and then when it plays out, though, in the way that it played out today... Oh, that was great. I absolutely loved it. And David, you and I, we're, we're not always the best at making predictions, are we? We called that. But this morning, I, we got, to, I got to the finish line. We met each other at the finish line after I'd ridden my bike in. And David had had his run and then drove in. And the first thing I said to you was, I think this might be quite difficult today for Alperson de Koenig. And then we were so disappointed when the flag dropped. And like just three guys got up the road and we went, oh, come on. What about all the other... There were not what eight other te- no I can't, my maths is rubbish nine other teams who hadn't got a stage win at the um, at the Tour de France and none of them bothered attacking today, um, which was disappointing. But it played out completely differently because of Victor Campenot and amongst others. We're just I think I'm struggling slightly because we've just finished commentating punditry and now we're going straight back straight into, into it. it there's no so I'm yeah. kind of like you know you're asking me questions that I've just yeah. been asked I know I know I don't know I know this is what we do but yeah I'm struggling to be like do you know what crop straight that, into do you know the what crop answer, that you know? is Pete there on the oh, right uh, that is corn isn't it brilliant yeah and I only know that because I asked David was that yesterday or this no, morning? No, this morning, this morning. Uh, Pete had a moment this morning. Oh, uh, didn't, didn't you? This oh, is, this is yeah. so, so <laughs> we're leaving the hotel. I went the wrong way because yeah. of it. And I let Pete drive as a treat. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the passenger seat and uh, kind of setting up car play and doing different things. And then oh, on our left, car play. <laughs> on, on our left is a field of sunflowers. But oh, they were so Dying sun, sunflowers. Already? Already. Mm-hmm. And and Pete Climate change. was genuinely quite traumatised by this. Oh, right. Oh, and he's like... And it's like, well, well, they're dead sunflowers. Why are they dead now? And 
And I was like, well, it's just that time of year. I guess they're going to be harvested now. Yeah. No, you actually said, what are they going to do with them now? I said, they're going to, we're going to, going back to all the conversation we had before, I think they're going to harvest them for the seeds, Pete. Yeah. And uh, I just went quiet. And then I'm looking at the car, I'm looking at Google Maps, and we just missed the junction. And I go, Pete. And he's like, oh, so sorry, I was thinking about the sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> I've just never seen a flower that, you know, shows so much joy and life. Mm. And then also in the same sort of way shows so much in expression in death. You know, this is a flower we're talking about, not a... But I think you need to think about it differently. I think that's just a human interpretation. So we focus well, yeah, on... Yeah, it is, yeah. We focus on the flower because, we, you know, the, the colours sort of attract us. So in that sense, we're no different from the pollinating insects that they're supposed to attract. But we don't see the bigger picture. So for the plant, the bigger picture is the flower is just the precursor to the ultimate sort of life goal, which mm-hmm. is uh, creating the fruit yeah, um, or yeah, the seed, which, I, which will then yeah. well, it's reproduction, isn't it? I completely understand that, Ned. But I guess oh. where I'm coming from <laughs> is like the expression of life and death from I mean. a flower. Which isn't Vincent Van Gogh's picture of sunflowers one of the most, if not the most, expensive piece of art in the world. Oh, it was at one so. point. I think it was, which goes, which backs up Pete's kind of feelings because. That's a piece of art about sunflowers that is world-renowned yep. and at one point was, I think, the most expensive piece of art ever. I'd drawn that in year nine. There you go. <laughs> Painted it, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Oh, Pete, tell us about your um, your essay that you remembered writing at school. I, d- uh, I can't remember why that memory came back. But I've actually got a voice note from my mum. Should we play it in as I start tell the story? Y- yeah, yeah. About the we'll, pl- pl- play it, yeah, well, well, I'll start, I'll start the story first. Yeah. So we, were sat, we had a bit of time skill, didn't we? Talking about English and a couple of days ago, all that, and I got on to the fact that one of my it was either coursework, I know it was a written exam, but I can't remember what it was for. It was either mocks, GCSEs. I got really good grades because of the way I explained, like the piece, basically. Yeah. So I just I basically um, wrote about um, a stage finish. Right. From a real race that you'd from been? well, just, or just the experience of yeah, yeah. the tension, the the winds, the the anticipation, all these type of feelings that I might have really struggled to explain. Other than the fact that I had literally been there and done it so myself, you, you so it's very lived natural lived experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic. Do you obviously you remember it? So you must have really sunk your heart and soul into I'm, it. I remember it really well. Yeah, really well, and then. So then I we were we were sat there weren't we and I was like you were like could we get it yeah because it's the sort of thing that I know you know from being a parent older kids and that I I know and I'm sure you are with your kids if they do a really good bit of schoolwork that's something you kind of squirrel away and maybe put in the loft because mm. they might appreciate seeing it later on in life so we asked the question of your mum didn't we we did and but, but then she re- she came back but she said that wasn't I think she, I'm right saying she said that wasn't the only great essay that you wrote. Or she wasn't sure whether if it was, you was or Tim. me or Tim, and I'm looking at this, this was unbelievable. She remembers one of you, either you or Tim, writing a like an account, a dream account or a kind of imagined account of that was all a metaphor for a parent coming reaching that point where their children move away from them, and it was a story about um, a mum and dad, I think, taking their uh, young adult child to their first flat, and. Um, 
and measuring the flat up for furniture, <laughs> which I can totally identify with because that's happened to me in sort of relatively recent life. And um, not that I did any measurement, didn't help whatsoever. They had to do it all themselves. But um, this is what abso- I found absolutely brilliant. And I really hope it was you who wrote it because chapeau if you did. But in this essay that either you or Tim wrote, the, um, the, the retractable tape measure thing is, becomes like okay. a metaphor for the snapping of the umbilical cord. Which it, is, your mum remembered that, and I think that's an absolutely fantastic image. But it's not cycling related, so it doesn't really fit very well into Never Stray Far. And I have no, I'm honestly looking through my phone now to try and find because it was a voice note. Oh no! No, it wasn't. It wasn't she was on the phone. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> it was an old fashioned phone call. Yeah, we had a. Yes. I called her up, yeah. You did, and then you put it on speakerphone so that she could yeah. tell the story to yeah. 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 But I think that's a great image, don't you, David? The um the the idea of a retractable. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, the umbilical yeah. cord, truly brilliant. Yeah. Being a measuring tape. Yeah, being a measuring tape. Yeah, yeah. I remember there's a, a po- definitely Tim's. I reckon po- a poet called Pam Ayres, who's very much of my generation <laughs> and won't be much. I don't think even to David because David grew up on the moon, um, <laughs> and other other places that begin with M like Malta and Biarritz and Hong Kong and stuff. So you probably won't be um. <laughs> won't won't be won't be uh, conversant with the the, the oeuvre of Pam Ayres. She is a poet who is a big feature of 1980s television, sort of light entertainment shows, and she used to write poems about everyday life in uh, this West West Country accent. And they were very simple poems, not in a I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but they weren't sort of layered with meaning. They were just lovely expressions of everyday life: a cup of tea in the garden and a da 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 da, da and all this sort of thing. She was a household name in my childhood, and I remember when my kids were sort of like. St- teenagers and I was already anticipating that moment where oh god so childhood doesn't last forever um, eventually they'll leave and go and it kind of like dawned on me like that like that first realisation you have as a child that you are you yourself are mortal mm-hmm. you know and that this isn't forever it dawned on me that being a parent changes into something else and you know your total immersion and love and your, your kind of like stewardship of their years eventually you have to concede it and they, they will move away they will have an independent life and you're so wrapped up when they're young that that seems impossibly distant but it does come and Pam Ayres wrote a poem about taking her uh, kid to university and dropping him off or her off can't remember and I remember listening to this on a radio programme as I was driving down the M1 on my own after doing a long bit of work and I was just streaming with tears <laughs> driving. It actually made the driving dangerous because I was, I was, that, I was just absolutely, yeah. I was beside yeah. myself. I just thought it was the most moving thing. I'm a bit daft like that. I remember when I was like 18 and it was after the junior tour of Wales and I was like wanting to just go home and just do something. My mum would plan to go up to see me Auntie Pauline who lived close to, uh, I think it was Leicester, or yeah. where's the, yeah, somewhere up there, it doesn't matter anyway, Lovely. it's irrelevant, mm, yeah, where the Lincoln, no, Lincoln, Lincoln. it was close to Lincoln, <laughs> where the Lincoln is, it was close to where's Lincoln, Lincoln? <laughs> yeah, I think it's in Leicester, I couldn't remember the, <laughs> the name of the race, yeah. Lincoln, the uh, Lincoln. Uh, and I wanted to just go home, and she was just fu- furious, we didn't speak for two days, I was like, I'm 18, I can do what I want, <laughs> and she was like, you're coming with us, you haven't seen your auntie Pauline, and Seven years. Oh, those struggles are so hard. <laughs> and it's like for both sides, for w- the parents you can't, and the kids. And you have no like money, and you can't. You can't just say, right, I'm going to get the boat or fly home. Do you know what? And you just you're stuck. I 
and I your mum just won't let you go. Oh, like, Pete, oh. that oh, actually, when sometimes you're around, around about, I see this almost every day. You see, I saw it today because Borgon Brest had a bit of a, was a bit of a tourist destination, and I went to visit this amazing monastery. And on my way out, I saw a family coming in, and the kids were like 16 and 14, right? I think they were Dutch, and I could just see in the eyes of the kids that they would rather have been anywhere else than going with their <laughs> flipping parents around a monastery but it's like but you can't can you you're, like, you're, f- you're still stuck yeah. and it's going to take a while but those agonising few years where you've got just got no choice yeah how old are your kids now Pete? Um, 12, 7, 5 and 2 it's a 12 year old whose name I've forgotten it's Grayson Grayson he's, so he's just coming into those potentially those difficult years yeah yeah Oh. Look forward to them. Gosh. Anyway, yeah. back to the race and all that. Well, yeah. David. Yeah. Imagine I if you'd written an S. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> sorry, David. <laughs> sorry, I cut right over you. Sorry, David. Um. So, what I liked about today's race <laughs> oh, was scrap it. And go back. <laughs> <laughs> was the fact that kind of it goes to show that nothing is impossible, and all those riders like. I'm not picking kind of Fred Wright, but Fred Wright, etc., who kind of saw at the beginning that it was impossible, decided yeah. not to go. They'll be and kicking it, themselves. And then you got Campanarts, and then Lotto Destiny. And we talked about at the beginning if you kind of launched a second wave of attacks halfway through, put fresh riders in, then you got a chance. Lotto Destiny did all all these things, and it worked. I mean, they didn't get the win, but they didn't. They couldn't yeah. beat Asgrin. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, Pete, that teams don't. Try they don't kind of try. Those. They try those tactics. I mean, they even like you, you say, going back to Fred Wright and um, Baron Victorious, they were trying to lead out Nickius on. They were trying to just ruin go breakaway. with Acorn, like yeah, yeah, oh. uh, yeah. But that, no, no, but in in defence, that was a, that was their plan B, wasn't it? Because I think Mahorich and Fred were poised Fred? to try and counter. Yeah, but what, what but they didn't, they, they didn't ultimately they didn't do it. So, but it, then why did why didn't they? Um, because it was really so the time gap was on that th- we're talking about that uncategorised climb which was a launch pad yeah no we're talking so more about the middle of the races when I was saying when Acorn oh, when Acorn, Acorn, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. the perfect time yeah. that was the second categorised climb wasn't it yeah that was the that's where, where it wave kicked off. that's where you get the peloton where they're kind of complaining and yeah, let's think point. about this, yeah. this this guy's fight one he had Philipson having a go at him because he went on the grass which yeah. in all fairness you've got hundreds of kilometres to attack maybe just wait until there's a little bit of room yeah, yeah. but Philipson went full chimpy didn't he it well a little bit chimpy, yeah. it, but yeah. it's one of them you'd be agreeing with him if he hit the camper and took up half True. the peloton yeah. yeah yeah. so and there, is, there was a loads of road to attack on True. so then that even would have been a big crash <laughs> yeah. Yeah. even oh, to almost get told by one of like the senior guys in the peloton who's got the green jersey on because usually that would be enough to like settle someone down you'd be like oh, okay I'm going to the back now just that's yeah. it yeah. but he was just like nah not having that he used it <laughs> he was like he fueled, it fueled I'm him. just going to keep cracking on and trying to get in the break and yeah that was the difference wasn't it really yeah yeah Aincon flipped the I mean as soon as he arrived and Campanuts sort of sat up and let him waited for him and then Campanuts did did a hell of a ride to get him across um, we've just overtaken Barry Victorious and EF Education so we are now currently tête de la course on the Tour de France um, on the motorway yeah, but Campanarts, oh my God, it was such a brilliant ride from Victor Campanarts and to come away empty-handed there. But we noticed that he, he carried on sprinting because he was, he was leading them all out, wasn't he? And without him... I think that was enough for him today. 
Like, he, he doesn't feel like he's come away empty-handed. That was, like, his dream day, wasn't it? Like, obviously, he wants to win. Or ain't going to But win. he made yeah. the breakaway yeah. stay away. That, for one, is already a win, because he's, like, a breakaway It dog. was an awesome ride. And then he's just got in the way of... Like, he would be happy with that. He did everything right. Yeah. Everything right. Yeah. In his mad way. Yeah. <laughs> Even dropping back, getting eight corners. He dropped back. Yeah. He was 13 seconds off the front of the peloton when he picked old, old boy eight corners. <laughs> <laughs> it was 13 seconds to him and 13 seconds to the breakaway. And they were trying to... And that they, was it. Cause they, and they were riding 70k to front. go. They were riding really hard because they did not want Incorn Bonkers, up like, the road. It's wild. So I'm just going to come and pick you up and take you up to the breakaway and we're going to go do a bit of through and off and then old boy Kasper Askerin's going to get the stage win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope to hell Campanart's got the combativity. Oh yeah, I mean we've left far too early. <laughs> we yeah, we don't know. We would we, like Pete was grabbing his laptop, which he hasn't forgotten today, which is a, a change in his fortunes, and uh, packing his bag and everything. And uh, we were skipping out of the trucks, and then we noticed the podium music just starting to play for the first time. So we actually left the Tour de France before the podium music started today, which is literally unprecedented. Unheard of. Unheard of. You do not do that. Yeah. But Yeah, how come the highlights was... So we went off air really quickly. Yeah. On the live show, really quickly. Really quick. Without any interviews or podiums. No or adverts. Not even one advert. It's one it? of those because you don't know when a stage like that really is going to finish. It's quite hard to time and it just happened to finish five minutes before the hour. Yeah. So that Perfect. was that. It was just kind of like straight off the air. And Perfect. Then, and then, but normally there's a bit of kind of like waiting for... Uh, you know, interviews to come down so that we know what's in the highlights show, but that didn't happen either today. No, rattled off, rattled it off. Guess you kind of know what. There's not much to take from the interviews, is there? Talked yeah. about what happened out on the road and yeah, yeah, rattled it off. Hey, David. Yeah. How good was Julian El Philippe? Oh, he was brilliant. So he was up there, just doing kind of textbook. You know, when you're a junior and under 23 and stuff you're told to kind of get in the way of the chase and like so he was up there getting in the way the, but properly getting in the way of the chase like going through and then not riding and <laughs> and kind of talk, kind of it you kind of almost i wish that he was up there kind of whispering kind of encouragement to them kind of you know like passive aggressively you're doing and, a great job guys yeah Hey, doing great, guys. <laughs> and then they were just burning through everyone, and just Alaphilippe just kept moving up to the point where he was right on the front with Skelmoser. Oh. And then Tim de Klerk finally came up and was backing him up like his kind of the heavy on Alaphilippe's shoulder. Yeah. But it was brilliant. And it, I mean, all those little things kind of helped. Yeah, they add up. And it's, yeah, it's, if they can't win. It's pretty cool to see a rider like, and to be fair, it's only a rider like Alaphilippe who can get away with that. You got to be a two-time world champion. You got to be a two-time world champion. You got to be an A-list, <laughs> A-list hitter <laughs> to get up there and not be kind of reprimanded, because no one was having a go at him because he's Alaphilippe. And also, yeah, that and the fact that there just wasn't enough people up there to have a go at him. Like there was Skillmoser. Oh, there was so many. They, but they burned through so many riders over that. Yeah. Period. Like those four riders, spelt the end for. Uh, in no particular order, Luke Durbridge, Lawson Craddock, Chris Hamilton, Patrick Conrad, Sonkrat Anderson, Michel Gogol, um, Sylvain Dillier, Quentin uh, Hermans, etc., uh, etc. Et there there must have been sort of seven or eight more, literally, that I haven't mentioned. And they outrode them all. It was, and they did it into a headwind, which is the other, a really uncharacteristic thing, thing about flat today. day, headwind. Makes no Three sense. Three riders plus one 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. All of it was kind of against the rules. <laughs> yeah. Chapeau. Absolutely. Third week action though as well. Just seeing all the teams uh, just crumble. It says it all though, doesn't it? I mean, um, Conrad on the front for... Uh, well, he had like... Name? Patrick Conrad. Yeah, on the front oh, for... Jordi Meus. I mean, the fact that that's even happening is a bit like... Yeah, he got a bit of a chance here. You well, know, when you're relying on the lead out for the sprinter that I don't even know the name of. The same's true of Sam Wells for <laughs> you know DSM. Really, he has, yeah, has, it's just had come a on marginal like, impact on the race. First, like Patrick yeah. Conrad's on the front, you know, which is why I so he's really strong, but he's not the type of guy you'd see on the front with 10k to go win a sprint stage, no. hoping no. that he's going to bring it back. Like that's not normal. To be fair to him, he buried himself. For yeah, Gilly yeah, Mose, I know. But yeah, and he, and he, and he. He was a bit like Suncrow Anderson and one or two others. He kept popping off, and we kept saying, "That's it, he's done." Yeah. And then, like three k down the road, no, he, he this, is, up this is that's exactly what I'm on about. That's the difference. Like usually on a sprint day, it's that fast that not one person is on the front for any more than 500 meters. Where we saying. were literally yeah. talking about, oh Conrad, you know this, that, and the other, and that was it. Just wasn't a normal sprint stage, was it? From that point of view, even the fighting for position. I mean. It only happened with 7k to go that actually anyone really like the peloton started to bunch up yeah up until that point it was just in a line yeah. everyone was just sat there i wasn't a normal sprinter I, th- I loved it today i thought it was great it's an unexpected twist that david and i had expected basically nailed it yeah um ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Lunch was nice today. Was nice. I enjoyed what it. Did I have? Oh, did David? Did you have the potato? I did have the potato. potato oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Did you have two helpings? No, I had one helping. And then did you go for a hot main course as well? Yeah. What was it again? I've already forgotten. I didn't go for that because I just double. I doubled up on that potato salad. I thought it was incredible today. Mm. And I sat with the team who do the um, team radio inserts, the ASO team who do that, and I, I, I congratulated them from the bottom of my heart on their clipping up and broadcasting of that amazing bit yesterday when Tadej Pogacar conceded the Tour de France and cracked because it was genuinely well it was new to the Tour de France that's never happened before the Tour de France is 120 years old but never before has the moments the voice of the chief protagonist of the Tour de France when he realizes that the tour is over a two-time winner of the tour has been broadcast semi-live on air and it had an absolutely incredible impact. I mean, I know that everybody, you know, all, all of you listening and, it, you know, got clipped up multiple times. It was, in a way, that little bit of sort of graphics that just mixed up on the, on, on, on the, um, on the screen and, you know, with those words, it's kind of the defining image of the Tour de France this year, in some ways. It is. But it yeah. was quite interesting talking to them. I said, how much of a delay was that? You know, because I got the sense commentating that it was quite fresh um, but it wasn't it was delayed by at least 20 minutes 20 minutes yeah the point being that he said it and they recorded it and that was a short delay in terms of that was like felt quick didn't it 
I think uh, it varies. I think sometimes they get them out much quicker. But on, oh, right. this, on this particular occasion, they felt they couldn't because... And here's, here's where it's really interesting because potentially has an inco- impact on the race. You know, they, Tade said that the moment he unzipped and got, you know, just a little bit off the back of that group and, and it began and he was on the radio straight away. So they, that was the moment when he actually said it. And then they sat on it for 20 minutes because it took a little while for that to become definitive. If you remember, there was kind of, I mean, it was only going one way, but it was 10 seconds, it was 20 seconds, and it kind of held it, held it for a bit. And all the while that it's a minute, they were thinking, if we broadcast that now, uh, you know, that, effect, that potentially affects the race. So they held it back until it was clear that Pogaccia had cracked. And I don't know whether they were doing that. I don't know. What I don't know is whether UAE have the right to withhold that. I don't think they do. I think that's at the discretion of the television director and ASO. In which case, I sort of rather think, well, just put it out there. And then, because then that sort of... If you were Chris Froome and, and you had team radio there... Chris Froome would have been bluffing all Tour de France, wouldn't he? Because he loved to bluff. Yeah, well, that's the problem then, isn't it? You start bluffing. Yeah, you start using it to your advantage, but it obviously wasn't the case. But that's just an extension of what's been going on for a long time, of cinema to live television pictures. Yeah? It's just an audio element. I think it adds a a potentially extra layer of interest and intrigue. Yeah, creates more jobs as well. Creates more jobs. It's always a good thing. There's an army of them doing it. In our (laughs) line of work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, I'll probably have inserted um, the advert break and that natural pause that just happened in the <laughs> podcast because no one was prepared to come up with a, a new subject. And um, yeah, where are we heading tonight, David? That seems quite nice. Um, near a place called Poligny, which is tiny. Is it a teeny tiny village? Four thousand four hundred inhabitants. Oh, that's random for a Tour de France finish. That's like a Dauphiné finish. It's like a Giro d'Italia finish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, really yeah, it's really small for the tour. Yeah, quite interesting. No, I think we're staying in a really nice little place tonight. Oh, I just remembered. Oh no, I've got my bloody socks and boxes that I hung up on the truck. Oh, every time I do that, all the stuff I have you to got message Graham now. Yeah, but you forgot some. You forgot. It's not in the same hotel, Pete. We're no, in, just we're just so it. they're off the truck. Gray. Okay. Gray. Gray. Um, David, you forgot some laundry yesterday. Did I? Yeah, you haven't even realised that you forgot it. No. Pair of the planche de Belfit, the plank attack oh, running shorts. my running shorts. gear. Plank attack, yeah, and a blue running top, sleeveless. Oh. oh. <laughs> uh, no, that's not sleeveless, that one. Oh, is it not? No. Well, it's hanging up there. You dried it and washed it yesterday, and oh, you forgot it. about it. You left it there. Okay. On the same day that Pete left his laptop there. Ah. And, yeah. That was the mad panic to get off the mountain. And, Pete, you went straight this morning when you got to finish straight off to find a laundrette because you ran out of pants. Is that right? Yeah, I've still got uh, David's chapter three sort of, like... Liner shorts on. Liner shorts, yeah. They've got a chamois, but yeah. Oh yeah, I'm wearing those. Well comfy. Nice. Well done. So guys. that's what yeah. that's what I had to go for this morning. <laughs> Desperate <laughs> times. Not even riding that's your what bike, I'm just it's cruising fun. around with a chamois all day. Literally, yeah. 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 How comfortable they are, people. They are really good. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so there we have it. So and also this. Oh no, we're not we're not eating at the hotel, are we? Because it's a hotel gourmand. No, gentlemen, I've booked a re- restaurant, a restaurant La Fontaine. I spoke to the lady. She's ready to prepare vegetarian food for Pete. Logistics Amazing. are under control, guys. Uh, all over it. That's good news. That's good news. Can I tell you a little bit about the um, Royal Monastery of Brou? Yes. David would like to hear. Yes. So, 
I remember, I think it was in 2014 the last time I... Well, I clearly... No, I, I wasn't on the 2002 Tour de France when Tour Hushoft won here. But I've stayed in Bourg-en-Bresse a couple of times. And I think it was in 2014 the last time I was here. And I remember going out for a run past the monastery on that long straight road where you parked the car and w- w- over on which we just evacuated and out into some beautiful woods to the south to the south of Bourg-en-Bresse and I remember being very struck because I sort of did an out and back run I came back past the monastery on that occasion and looked up at the amazing roof which is characteristic of the architecture of this era and um, this part of France but they, the, the tiles on the steeply pitched roof uh, are highly, highly glazed and come in four different colours. And I remember thinking that building, one of these days, if I had a bit more time, I'd love to visit. And I had no idea until I rode to the finish line of, uh, of today's stage that they'd literally put the finish line next to the monastery. And I got there quite early, so I thought, right, boom, I'm off. And I went around th- expecting it to be absolutely rammed because the Tour de France is in town. David, I was the only person there. Ah. Oh best when that happens I, and I walked up and I said un, un billet d'entrée s'il vous plaît nine euros and I could if I wanted I could have got a um, a personal guided tour but I just wanted to do my own thing instead because mm. I also had limited time primarily I wanted to see the church uh, but also this this monastery has three two story cloisters which are extremely beautiful uh, above one of which the um, aristocrat uh, who was responsible for the building of the monastery, used to have her royal apartments. And her name was, and I've forgotten her first name, is it Margaret of Austria? That may not have been Margaret. I may have misremembered that. But we're talking about the beginning of the 16th century. And she was the daughter of a Habsburg emperor and um, one of the royal lineage of the dynasty of the Dukes of Burgundy. So she, uh, her her hand in marriage was the most highly sought after hand in marriage bar none in Europe at that time because effectively whoever would marry her would uh, you know kind of like combine the Habsburg Empire the Burgundy uh, with whatever you brought to the table and she ended up marrying the Duke of Savoy the Duke of Savoy who (laughs) was went by the name of Philibert the Handsome I haven't seen any pictures of him, so I don't know quite how handsome he was, but I imagine he was devilishly handsome, like Pete or David, um, and uh, or Marcel Kittel, even. Possibly, possibly, probably more likely to have been Marcel Kittel. Um, but anyway, their marriage only lasted three years because he died quite young, Philibert the, the, the handsome. And she, at that point, said, right, I'm going to build a monastery uh, in Bourg-en-Bresse, and it's going to be the greatest monastery of the era it's going to be you know, it's going to be a work of modern art and so she did and the construction was finished in 1532 and started in something like 1506 i think in other words the the church itself which is incredible and the rest of the cloisters and the monastery were completed in less than 30 years which uh, for the early 16th century and a building of that size and importance is nothing short of kind of like astonishing and the knock-on effect of the fact that it was built so quickly is that architecturally it's all exactly of the same style so it's totally homogenous and it's the best preserved example of what they called flamboyant gothic architecture and it's absolutely uh, breathtakingly beautiful for that reason quite spartan in a way and my final thing i want to say about this is that 
the centerpiece of this church, right at the bottom of the stained glass at the end of the nave, where the altar would be, is the tomb of Philibert, her husband, Philibert the Handsome. And it's this incredible Gothic tomb. And, but he lies on the tomb in stone effigy twice, right? He's on top. And he's like, it's like a bunk bed made out of stone <laughs> with all sorts of kind of like amazing figures around his bunk bed. He lies on the top in life with his eyes open. And on the bottom, underneath that, uh, he is then with his eyes closed and exactly the same figure uh, in death. And I found that incredibly moving. Stage 19 tomorrow could be a day for the breakaway. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> 